great to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Michael, one of the pastors here. Uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Um, so let me give you a recap for, for those of you, maybe if you haven't been with us, we have started the first book of the Bible, uh, walking through it, book of Genesis. And in uh, Genesis 1, what we see is this incredible, powerful, creative God who creates the world with his words. And as he creates the world, um, you also see this intimate detail that he creates with. He cares deeply, not just, he's not just this powerful God that can create everything, but he's also an intimate God that wants relationship with his creation. And we see the pinnacle of his creation being when he creates mankind in his own image, male and female. And things are wonderful. Chapter one, chapter two, they're great. And then we hit last week, Genesis chapter three, and things start to spiral out of control, or it seems like out of control, right? And so what you have is, Adam and Eve, and they want to be like God. And the certain uh, serpent tempts them and twists God's word. And as he twists God's word, they begin to twist God's word and not believe God is as great as he really is. And so then they sin. And then God puts a curse on the earth and, and them and on the serpent. But in the midst of just a, a terrible part of this whole story, God still pursues them. Hey, where are you? I'm going to go after you. In the midst of all that you've just done, I'm still going to pursue you. Not only am I going to pursue you, but I'm going to make a promise. And that promise is really important because we're going to talk about it more this morning. But that promise was, hey, Eve, part of your offspring, there's going to be a seed that comes from your offspring. And out of that, there's going to be somebody that crushes the serpent's head. Right? So there's going to be redemption that happens, but not only is there just this pursuit of Adam and Eve, there's a promise that's made by God, but God also makes provision for them. So there's a sacrifice that's made uh, of an animal to cover them. When they're in shame and hiding away and they're trying to cover themselves up with fig leaves, God sacrifices the animal to provide covering for them. And you look at that and you're like, man, this is, this is a pretty sobering chapter of the Bible. Well, the fact is, is that this week's just gets worse, all right? So sorry for the bad news, but things continue to go downhill. In chapter four, and what started out so well has just fallen off a cliff, it seems, by the end of this chapter. We've all probably been there in our lives and witnessed some of those stories. Maybe it's been up close and personal, maybe it's been from afar, where somebody in your life, if you looked out externally, you look outwardly at their lives, you look and go, oh man, they've got it all together. Things are really good. They go to church, they worship, they sing. Everything looks really good. But then all of a sudden you pick up the newspaper one morning, and you're like, oh, whoa. They just like, like, they didn't just like do something a little bad, right? They like, there's like, yeah, like, addicted to drugs and they got arrested for prostitution or they committed murder and you're like whoa how could somebody like do that like i mean i don't know how they went down that path but there's probably no way that i'm ever going to end up down that path and that's a really dangerous spot to be in when you think you're not susceptible to further sin right and so you've got in this like this this massive decline of evil and sin begins to spread and my hope is that I'm, I know none of us in this room are going, yeah, we want to end up like screwing up our lives, right? Like everything being terrible. Nobody wants that, right? But if 
If you're sitting in here, this room going, I don't think I could even ever end up in that spot. Man, you're in a, you're in a dangerous spot. And we're going to talk about this morning. Why did people get to that place? What causes somebody to start out so well and then end up not finishing well? Or another way of saying that is, how do you avoid making an absolute mess of your life? How do you avoid making an absolute mess of your life? So let's look, Genesis chapter four, let's start in verses one and two. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife. All right, that's a polite way of saying they had sex. All right, so Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. All right, so Adam and Eve start their family. There's Cain and there's Abel. And that, the word Cain there in the Hebrew, it kind of sounds like the word gotten. And she goes, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord, right? Now, you go, what is the big deal about that? Remember, she was promised this offspring. She was promised this seed that was going to come. And now, even though they're outside the Garden of Eden with no access to the tree of life, she's like, oh, now here's my offspring. I've gotten this man with the help of the Lord. Maybe this is the one. Maybe he's the one, the, the promised one that's going to bring redemption and reconciliation to all this stuff that's out of order, right? So Cain is kind of the favored one at this point. Firstborn looks at him like, oh, this is great. Then they have a second child, Abel, whose name means frail or vanity or breath. You're like, Michael, don't you have a kid named Abel? I do have a kid named Abel. Not because of what he's named, but because of the way he lived his life. All right. So like, here's, here's Cain, like, oh, the favored one. Here's a, I, I did it every, I call my son Abe a lot. So if I say Abe, it means Abel. All right. So here's Abel, the frail one, the one, the, the one that's like a vanity. Mm, I don't, I don't know much about this guy. So two sons, two sons that one seems great. One's like, ah, eh, whatever. Right. Then what you have is they're, they're hardworking family though. Like Abel is a keeper of the sheep. He's a shepherd. Cain's working the ground. He's a farmer. It's a great, great thing. Because what you have at this point is a hope-filled family. Hey, this seed's going to come. This offspring's going to come. So this hope-filled family, and they're a hard-working family. We don't know how old they are, but they're old enough to work hard, right? Hope-filled, hard-working family. Now, let's go to verse 3, 3 through 5. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. So this hardworking, hope-filled family start to make offerings. And I don't know how long they have been making offerings, but they're both making offerings and the sons are making offerings. Both Abel and Cain make offerings to the Lord. Abel offers the kind of fruit of the ground. And then, I mean, Cain offers the fruit of the ground. Abel is offering the, the fat portions and the, 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 first, uh, the firstborn of the flock. So you've got a hardworking, hope-filled, worshiping family. If you look at this family, you're like, man, they look great. They seem great. They're doing the things they're supposed to do. And at this point, we don't know of any, there's no written instructions of what offerings should look like. We later learn that grain offerings and animal sacrifices are both acceptable offerings to the Lord. But at this stage, all we know about offerings and sacrifice are what? The only person that's offered or sacrificed any animal at this point is God, right? Right? 
Genesis 3, he makes this covering for them. So, like, we're going to make offerings, we're going to sacrifice this thing based on how, that's the way God operates, evidently, right? That's all that we know about offerings at this point. But for some reason, God takes, and he says, I'm going to regard Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, I'm going to have no regard. And that word regard means to look at with interest or to show respect to. To look at with interest or to show respect to. So for some reason, God looks at Abel and his offering and goes, I respect that. I'm going to look at that with interest. But for Cain, I'm not even going to look at that with any interest. I don't respect what you brought to me, Cain. And it says Cain's response is there's anger. And the anger is shown in his face. You've, got, you've been there before where you've gotten so angry that somebody else can notice it like immediately on your face. Or maybe you see it in your kid, right? Oh, I know you're angry. I can see it on your face. And so his face is just showing how angry he is. Now, why is he angry? Because he didn't like how God was operating. God, why in the world would you, you accepted his offering? You regard his offering, but you don't regard my offering? But I'm the hardworking farmer. He's just out there with a the sheep. But I'm the hardworking farmer. Like, I'm making an offering to you, but you don't regard it. And he's jealous. And he's jealous of what somebody else has that he's not getting. We get jealous about so pe- such petty things. At least he's getting a little bit jealous because God's, like, regarded something. But we get jealous about, oh, oh, as a kid, like, oh, I don't have that toy like, or I don't have that phone, or I don't have that car, or I don't have that house. And I think a lot of our jealousy is rooted in pride, though, that we think we deserve something. Oh, look who I am. I deserve this. Like, I'm the firstborn. I'm the one that was gotten by the Lord. But now I want more. And God's not giving it to me. And all throughout Scripture, what we see is that God gives grace to the humble, but he turns away from the proud. God gives grace to the humble, but he turns away from the proud. And what we're going to see in the rest of this chapter is that God's turned away from Cain. For some reason, his religious act was not pleasing to God. We'll get back to that in a little bit. But verses 6 and 7, let's keep going. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So God comes to Cain. He's like, why are you angry? Why are you angry? And it seems like God's kind of being gentle right now. Hey, why are you angry? Why is your face falling? Like, if you do well, and I think the, what he's saying there is, is if you worship well, like, he says, you're going to be accepted. Your face is going to be turned around. It's not some crazy thing here. I know I didn't accept your first offering. I didn't respect your first offering. But if you would just do well, like, I'm going to accept you. Not something crazy. Like, you don't have to go down this crazy path. Just start making offerings the right way. So he says, there's that option for you. If you do well, if you worship well, I'm going to accept you. He's like, not just you avoiding sin, but if you worship well... It's kind of like telling your kid, like, hey, you, if you would just be obedient, life will go better for you. Like, I can see a little bigger picture. I've, I've experienced more of life. It will go better for you if you just operate this way. But if you decide to be disobedient, it's going to go a different direction. And that's what God is saying here. Hey, if you worship well, you're going to be accepted. But if you don't, 
It says sin is crouching at your door. If you don't worship well, sin is crouching at the door. So it's, you're in this room, you have a relationship with God somehow, and it's, it's, it's going well, all right? And he's going, but if you, you're angry right now, and if you keep being angry and you stop, you don't ever worship well, you're going to crack the door open. And as you crack the door open, he kind of personifies sin as this animal or beast at this point. And that beast is just going to attack. You think your door's just barely cracked open, but that animal's going to jump out and take over. He's got, you got to rule over this. You got to have dominion over this. Now it makes us think back to Genesis 1, right? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and rule over it, have, subdue it, have dominion over it. And now what is he saying? Sin is like an animal that's going to rule over you. You were meant to rule over everything else. But if you crack this door open, sin's going to rule over you and going to have dominion over your life. You can rightly respond to this anger, Cain. If you worship well, you're going to be accepted. But if you choose the other, if you choose door number two, and you crack that door open, it's not going to go well for you. And what is out there? Somebody else's sin ready to attack him? No, it's his own sin. It's going to grow. It's going to spread. Because in James 1, it's not going to be on the screen, but in James chapter 1, what we have is God saying, when you're tempted, as you're tempted, your own desires are going to conceive and give birth to sin, and that's going to lead to death. Your own desire. So you crack that door open, your own desires are just going to grow, and it's going to conceive sin, give birth to sin, it's going to lead to death. And that's what happens here. So Cain, which one are you going to choose? You're going to choose door number one, worship well, or you're going to choose door number one, crack it open, and sin be crouching, waiting there. When you continue in your sin and you don't worship well, you become more vulnerable or susceptible to sin. This is a gracious admonishment from the Lord. Hey, Cain, watch out. There's danger ahead. Don't go off the cliff. I'm just trying to protect you. There's sin crouching at your door. Don't go there. You got to rule over this sin. I know it's acting like a beast. It's right there, but you rule over it. So what happens? Verse 8, how does Cain respond? Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. You know the story. Cain kills Abel. Some of your translations may not say that he spoke to him. He said like, hey, he talked him into coming out in the field where he was going to kill him. You have the first murder in the first family. We're only two kids into this earth and we've already had the older son murder the second son. It's awful. It's a terrible thing. Like premeditated murder. Hey, you come out here and then I'm going to kill you. Here's somebody offering. What are the, he's, he's just made offerings to the Lord at some point, And now it's to the point of anger and jealousy and pride and now murder. Do you think Cain ever would have stood up and said, I don't think I can make that kind of mess out of my life. But now he's gotten there. An absolute mess of his life. So sin is spreading. An unnoticed, disrespected offering has now led to murder. So how does God respond? Let's look at verses 9 through 12. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? That's a terrible response when you're caught in sin. Don't do that, all right? 
And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. What was bad just got a lot worse. Got a lot worse. But here's the beautiful thing. Again, God pursuing Cain. Hey, Cain, where are you? He's already done this with his mom and dad, right? Hey, where are you after you sinned? God knows where Cain is. He's pursuing him. Hey, where are you? Cain's like, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Like, what are you doing? Like, confess your sin. Like, here's a holy, righteous God asking what's going on. And you're just going to be like, I don't know, man. I don't know what happened. Am I supposed to keep up with him? Like, that's a terrible response. And God goes, Abel's blood is actually crying from the ground. And it's crying for justice. So Cain is cursed. The ground that he works is cursed. He becomes a fugitive and a wanderer. He's just unstable and kind of aimlessly going to wander for the rest of his life. And then in verse 13 and 14, this is what Cain says. Cain knew his, or sorry, verse 13. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. He goes, this is too much, God. I messed this up so bad and the punishment is too much for me to bear. I can't handle it. Why? Because it says God's face is going to be hidden from him. God's already not looked with interest and respected his offering. Now he's not even going to look at his life. God gives grace to the humble but turns away from the proud. And he's fearful. Like, okay, God, you're going to make me a fugitive wanderer. I'm just going to wander around. People are going to kill me. Somebody is going to kill me because I don't have your protection anymore. I'm just going to be this wanderer. Check out what God does in verse 15 and 16. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Man, what grace and mercy from our God. You know what Cain deserved? He deserved death. And God goes, no, 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 nobody's going to kill you. Don't you worry about that. And he puts this mark on him. The point isn't the mark, the point of why the mark's there. Like, I'm not going to let anybody kill you. They're going to see this. No, I'm not going to touch him. Just mercy and grace that just keeps pouring out from God in the midst of this evil spiral. The saddest part of this whole spiral is verse, the end of verse 16 when it says, he went away from the presence of the Lord. He was offering worship to God and now he is walking away from the presence of the Lord. It's the worst. It's awful. But it doesn't even stop with Cain. We're not going to read verses 17 through 22, but in verses 17 through 22, what you see is Cain's generations to come after this. Like Cain has somebody who has somebody who has somebody who has somebody, right? And In this, like culture grows, cities are born, instruments are made, 
like music is created. It's this wonderful thing where culture is growing. They're kind of fulfilling that Matthew or Matthew Genesis one twenty eight um, cultural mandate. Like, hey, rule over the earth, subdue it, and that's happening. They're being fruitful, filling the earth. Then it gets to down the line, a guy named Lamech. And Lamech takes on two wives. He becomes a polygamist. Obviously against Genesis 2. The two shall become one flesh, not three. And so now all of a sudden it's affecting future generations. This unnoticed offering has led to jealousy, pride, anger, murder, polygamy, and now what happens in verses 23 and 24. Says Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zila, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. So he's kind of just bragging at this point. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. All that now has led to more murder. Evil just continues to spread, sin spreads, evil is spiraling all because an offering wasn't looked at by God, which begs the question, why? Why did God regard Abel and his offering, but did not regard Cain and his offering? So let's go back to three through five. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So what does Abel bring? The firstborn, the fat portions. He brings the best of the best to God. Something that meant something to him. Something that cost him something. That's what he's offering to God. And why would he bring the best of the best to God? Because he had faith that God was better. Better than the things that this world had to offer. Better than what his hard work had to offer. There was something better than this. He believed in how great his God was. I'm going to offer the best because, God, you're great. That's what I believe in. And, God, I'm going to offer the best because I believe that you're going to be the provider. I don't have to be the provider for myself. I'm going to work hard, but you're the provider. And he trusts and believes that God is amazing and that God's an amazing provider. But I think what happens with Cain, he's trying to trust in himself. He, he, needs, he thinks he needs his best. I'm not going to give my best. Like, I'm just going to offer some fruit of the ground. But it's not the best fruit that we know of. But we know that Abel's was the best. So Cain is offering something without faith. Abel's offering it with faith. Now, you go, how, do you, how do you make that connection? In Hebrews chapter 11, we, we studied Hebrews several months ago. And in Hebrews 11... If you remember, God begins to highlight all these great people of the faith throughout history. And by faith, they did this. By faith, you, Abraham, Abraham did this, and Noah did this, and all these great people. You know who the first person highlighted is? It's Abel. Check this out in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts... And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So why was Abel's offering better? Because it was offered by faith. There was this faithful 
response to even God offering a sacrifice earlier, a faithful, obedient response to God. And God accepted that offering. But for Cain, there was no faith involved. It was just kind of this going through the motions. This is what I'm supposed to do with my life, kind of out of dutiful obligation. Over here, faithful obedience from Abel. Sorry. Faithful obedience from Abel. Dutiful obligation from Cain. I'm going to offer some worship because that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to show up and bring something to God. Like, that's what I do. No faith attached to it whatsoever. There's unacceptable worship apart from faith. And this is the reality. There is worship that exists that is unacceptable to God. There is worship that exists that is unacceptable to God. It reminds me of the story of Saul, the first king of Israel. God, through the prophet Samuel, went to, went to Saul one day and said, Hey, Saul, I need you to take out the Amalekites. When you defeat the Amalekites, what I want you to do is I want you to destroy everything. I don't want you to leave anything. That's God's instructions to Saul. Well, Saul goes and he defeats the Amalekites. Great. Awesome. He destroys all the worthless things there. But then he holds back and he saves the best of the best. And Samuel comes to him one day and is like, hey, Saul, why'd you, why'd you do that? He's like, I, I defeated the Amalekites. Yeah, but why'd you hold out all the, all the best stuff? Well, because I want to offer it to God. Like, I'm going to offer the best to God. And listen to Samuel's response in 1 Samuel 15. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. To obey is better than sacrifice. But I'm offering worship to you. I'm saving the best for you, God. I'm offering it to you. And God goes, I'm not even going to look at it because you didn't obey what I asked you to do. But don't you respect my worship that I'm giving to you? No, because you didn't obey. You didn't obey. You didn't do it by faith. You didn't trust me. God doesn't need your sacrifice. He wants your obedience. He doesn't need your sacrifice. He doesn't need my sacrifice. But there's something deeper going on than just the kind of offering. It's the motivation behind that offering, that faithful, faith-filled response. It's not the what of the offering, but the why. And insincere worship is the issue. Insincere worship is the issue. Because it's not about the offering. Now, how do we know that? It says that, God had regard for Abel and his offering. Not just God had regard for his offering, but Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, both of them, he did not regard. So there was not just an issue of what they offered, but the issue with the person and the issue was the heart. The issue was the heart. The heart of worship was the problem. There was an evil heart that did not trust God, did not trust God's ways, and it overflowed into this spiral, out of control spiral of evil. I read a story recently about the Vietnam War, and in the Vietnam War, uh, this global magazine put out this picture, this awful picture of uh, a Vietnamese officer, and he was holding a gun up to a prisoner's head. And 
somebody writes in after that picture gets published, and they write in this letter to the editor, and this is what they say. What a terrible thing. What a brutal thing. There stands that turtle-headed little man pointing a pistol at this man's head and shooting him in cold blood. How can a man do a thing like that? And a few days later, somebody replied to that letter, said this. How can a man do a thing like that? What causes a man to act like that? The same thing that causes someone to call another person a turtle-headed man. The issue is with the heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, your body's going to act. The issue is with the heart, and that was what was going on here. The issue with Abel and Cain's heart. Abel offered a sacrifice by faith. Cain didn't offer it by faith. He just went through the motions. Guys, this is a scary idea. This should be a really scary idea for a bunch of religious people. That you can offer something to the Lord and it not be respected by the Lord. That you could offer something to the Lord and it not be looked at with interest by the Lord. You can give, you can sing loud, you can raise your hands and God goes, I don't respect it. But God, I sing really loud. I don't just raise my hands here, I raise them up here. God goes, I'm not looking at that, I don't respect that. Why? If the heart's not right, if there's no faith involved, he's not going to look at it with interest. But it's not just about what happens in here on a Sunday morning. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, this is what Paul says about worship. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It gets broadened here. It's not just your worship that happens in this room, but what are you offering to God with your life? How are you spending your time? Is your time spent in faith? Is your money spent in faith? Is the way you parent your children done in faith? Because God might look at all that and go, yeah, you say you write a big check. I'm not even going to respect that. But I serve and I volunteer. I have really respectful kids. And God goes, I'm not even looking at it with interest. I told you, it was a little sobering here, right? God doesn't need our sacrifice. He wants our heart. Doesn't need our sacrifice. He wants our heart. Church, you and I are absolutely capable of making a mess of our lives. Every single one of us in here can make an absolute mess of our lives. And the start of a wrecked family, a messed up family, and a wrecked society was a worship problem. Guys, you have to check your worship to avoid wrecking your life. Check your worship to avoid wrecking your life. Evil will only escalate in this life as long as a worship problem exists. So if you've become insincere in your worship, casual in your worship, lazy in your worship, You are more susceptible and more vulnerable to sin. So where have you become lazy lately? Where have you become casual and insincere about your worship lately? My hope this morning is that we all do a heart exam on ourselves. I'm going to give you three three ways to do this heart exam. First, number one, check your heart. You need to consider, think about your life. God, where am I offering things to you out of faith or not out of faith? Check your heart. 
Now, it could be easy for us to all just stay there and then sit there in guilt and shame. Like, oh, I'm terrible. I don't offer my life in faith. I don't offer my money in faith. I don't even offer my worship in faith. Like, I don't do any of this in faith. So check your heart. But number two, apply the blood to your heart. And what do I mean by that? In Hebrews chapter 12, this is what Hebrews 12, 24 says. Says, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. There is a blood, the blood of Abel is crying out from the ground, Give me justice, give me justice. The blood of Jesus poured out, saying, Give me salvation. Forgiveness, crying out for forgiveness and redemption and salvation. That's amazing. So when we check our hearts and the Holy Spirit convicts us of, man, you're not operating in faith. You're operating out of just obligation. You don't sit there in that, but you apply the blood of Jesus to that, to cover your sin. That's good news. You take the gospel and you don't just sit in your guilt and shame, but you apply the blood of Jesus to it. And when you do that, part of the third part of this heart exam is to worship with all your heart. You check your heart. Then you apply the blood of Jesus to your heart, and then you worship with all your heart. That's what we want. That's how we want to live our lives. Because when we live our lives that way, it not only affects us, but it begins to affect future generations as well. Check out verses 25 and 26. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. In an awful chapter, what hope at the end. People are turning back to the Lord and calling upon the name of the Lord. Why would they do that? Well, Cain, like, I'm not going to bring this offspring from Cain, right? Like, he's been evil. Can't bring this promised seed through Abel. He's dead. God appoints or gives Adam and Eve another son, Seth. That if you look at Luke chapter 3, we often skip through the genealogies of Jesus. Like, in the middle of that genealogy, guess whose name shows up? Seth. Jesus, the promised seed, the one that was going to crush the serpent, comes through this. It's amazing. It's amazing. But Cain's offspring, going to get to the next couple weeks, pretty much destroyed by a flood coming, right? Unbelief spreads. Insincere worship spreads. Things are done for that line. But out of the line of Seth comes Jesus. And you have these like two like generational trajectories going in opposite directions. Where we see the effects of insincere worship playing out. I don't think this curse was just played out like God didn't curse the future generations. He cursed Cain. But the effects of his insincere worship played out for generations to come. So your worship now will affect your kids' and grandkids' worship later. If your kids see that you're really sincere about sports and they do not see that you're sincere about the worship of our God, it's going to show up in their lives later. If your kids see, oh, 
Mom and dad, they really care and they're really sincere about the things of this world. But I'm not so sure they're really sincere about the things of God. It's going to show up. I don't know how it's going to show up exactly. But your insincere worship now may play out for future generations. So how do we avoid that? We've got to check our worship, guys. We've got to check our worship. We don't want to end up there. Imagine your kids and grandkids absolutely worshiping Jesus because they believe that he is the best. They believe that he is the best provider and they put all their faith and their whole life follows that. Isn't that the kind of life you want for your kids and grandkids? There you go. You're better than eight and nine thirty. They stayed silent there. It was not a good time. Like you should all be saying, yes, that's what I want for my kids. Like imagine that. Yes, that's what I want. Well, start checking your worship now. Start applying the blood of Jesus now and worship with all your heart now. And the way that we're going to practically do that here as we end is we're going to have a time of complete silence as I finish up here where I want you to check your heart. Band's not even going to play. I want you to be quiet and I want you to check your heart. Say, God, where have I lived by faith and where am I not living by faith? But I don't want you to stay there, guys. After you've checked your heart in that time of silence, then we're going to take communion. And you remember how great Jesus' sacrifice was. And then it covers all those, in, all that insincere, lazy, casual worship. Jesus' blood covers it. And you don't sit in your guilt and shame. You have got to. I confess this, I'm wrong, but thank you for Jesus, that his body was broken, his blood was shed, and that he rose to new life so that I could worship with all my heart. So you sit in silence, you check your heart. You take communion, you apply the blood to your heart. And then we're going to finish singing, and I want you to worship with all your heart because you are free now. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you that you are better than anything this world has to offer. God, you are the best provider. And God, when we want to hold back things from you, we want to operate in our own self, the way just how we desire, not out of faith, God, I pray that you would convict us of those sins not just today, but you would convict us in the moment and we would respond to your spirit by applying the gospel to it. God, your blood speaks a better word in Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. Now, God, be honored, please, in our worship that comes from faith today. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.